as I brewed more and more, I became very patient. I remember a quote from Alton Brown. He's a cook, a chef. He had the show Good Eats on the Food Network. And his, his line was always, let it be. Your patience will be rewarded. And uh, it's true in brewing. If, if you're just patient, things will come. Welcome to the Juxtaposed Journeys Podcast. I'm your host, Eric Spitz, and in this episode I talk with my former chemistry teacher and cross-country coach, Dave Foy. In addition to teaching and coaching, Dave started brewing beer back in 2001, and his creations can be found on Untapped under the name Foy Boys. Dave is also a founding member of the Holt Homebrewers Association, which shares homebrews and guest beers monthly in the homes of various members. Our conversation ranges from what got him into brewing beer to begin with, his experience working at facilities like Old Nation and Eagle Monk, and some of the finer details surrounding brewing beer. So maybe crack open a tall boy to listen to this conversation. Unless you're at work or driving. Either way, just sit back, relax, and get ready for Dave Foy's journey with brewing beer. All right, so welcome to the Juxtaposed Journeys podcast. Thank you so much for taking the time out of your evening to sit down and chat with me tonight. My pleasure. Of course. So let's talk Foy Boys and everything that you do on Untapped. So digging through your Untapped profile, I see that you've been brewing beer since 2001. So what made you get into brewing beer to begin with? Well, uh, early on in our marriage, my wife told me I needed a hobby. And <laughs> uh, I said, well, you know. President Carter put this thing into place when we turned, when, when we were legal of age back in the late 70s. You know, so I started collecting up the gear in the early 90s, but I never brewed because we moved and I, I got rid of it all. And then by the late 90s, my wife had bought me a Mr. Beer kit. And uh, so that was my start. However, that didn't last very long because the beer, in my opinion, wasn't the greatest quality. Sorry, Mr. Beer. <laughs> but Bill Hodges, a friend and colleague at Holt High School, where we both taught, said, showed me where I could get them, a place in Williamston called Michigan Brewing Company. They're since defunct. They went out of business in uh, 2012. But uh, I was able to buy materials there and equipment. And that that became my hobby in the early 2000s, yeah. No, that's super cool. Yeah, and I remember you having some different involvement with Mr. Hodges or Bill Hodges. So, no, that's that's really cool hearing the backstory on that. I guess I didn't realize it started in, in the late 90s there. What is uh, What would you say is your favorite type of beer to brew and favorite type to drink? Well, lately I've gotten, in, gotten into brewing something called a smash beer. That's capital S-M-A. SH, all capitals, stands for single malt and single hop. I like brewing that one because it's so darn easy. <laughs> and <laughs> it's relatively inexpensive. So it's a quick beer to make, if you will, not counting ferment time. But yeah, that's what I like making the most because it's easy. In terms of my favorite type of beer to drink, I have about three standard replies to that. The first one is the one I'm currently drinking. It's in my hand. That's my favorite beer. <laughs> the next one is, uh, oh, whatever you're serving me. That's that's my favorite beer. 
And then, of course, whatever whatever I order next is my favorite beer. So, yeah, depending on the mood, one of those three. But usually it's the one in my hand, yeah. <laughs> oh, I love that answer. You can, you can never go wrong with whichever one. And I know just based on previous discussions we've had and interactions we've had, I know we definitely span the the different types for sure. Um, we never really gravitate towards one in particular. <laughs> yeah, Eric, you know, I like all styles, stouts, porters, brown ales, red ales, IPAs, pale ales. Depends on my mood at that particular time. I could I could be drinking a, a pale ale on a hot summer day and go, this is the best beer I've ever had. It's my favorite. At the same time, <laughs> it could be a cold winter's day and I'll have a nice roasty stout in my hand sitting by a fire going oh this is the best stout i've ever had this is my favorite beer so you know <laughs> there there are times when every style is my favorite yeah definitely and and i think it goes with the seasons as well i agree with that because i mean there are definitely hot summer days to where i'll drink more ciders or seltzers or something like that like something on the lighter side exactly. and then winter time comes and Stouts just sound better. And, and just even when I was, you know, working at Horrocks part-time before the pandemic, they would kind of change their taps around with that mentality in place too. I, I noticed yep. that they they had so many more stouts on tap in the, the wintertime. And then they'd have Rochester Mills come in and do like tap takeovers and stuff. And most of them would be stouts. And they're all really, really good. <laughs> yeah, Rochester Mills has the, I think it's called the 12 Stouts of Christmas. Yep. So they have 12 different ones and they put out a 12 pack every year as well. Yeah. No, that's, that's so cool. Now you covered the, the easiest type of a beer to brew or one of the easier ones, I would say with the, the smash beer. So what is, what would you say is a type of beer that's difficult to brew? For me, and it probably varies from brewer to brewer, but for me, lagers are the toughest. And the reason that is, is that lagers need to ferment at a much lower temperature between 45 and 55 degrees Fahrenheit, sometimes a little cooler. And what makes that tough is you might have the temperature at the, you know, at that temperature for the wort to start fermenting. But then as it ferments, the activate the activity of fermenting produces heat. And so it begins to warm up. And so you, you know, if you don't have a, a controlled system that maintains that temperature, it's really difficult. Whereas ales, which are most beers, um, I shouldn't say all, but most beers, those are very forgiving. <laughs> Once you start the fermentation around 70 degrees Fahrenheit, yeah, the temperature is going to rise, but it's not going to affect the flavor too much unless it gets too hot. So you got to, you, you may have to control it. I, I ferment in my basement where the temperature is pretty ambient, 68 degrees Fahrenheit roughly. So... I generally haven't had to worry about that for my my ales. Gotcha. No, that's that's super interesting to hear. And then just to give all the listeners a, a backstory and everything, because I know you are a, were a former chemistry teacher, so I I imagine that helps a lot in the brewing process. Would you say? You know, you're you're right, Eric. So uh, another thing that I, I always said uh, before I retired, I'm, I'm going to get more scientific with my brewing. And you know, mm -hmm. since I've retired from teaching, I've started using pH meter. I've started being more critical of what we call original gravity and final gravity, measuring those carefully before and after fermentation so that I can get a more accurate alcohol content. I've been more careful on 
temperatures for my fermentation, trying to find new ways to either cool or maintain temperature. So yeah, uh, I appreciate you bringing that up because I think science plays a big role in the art of brewing. Yeah, definitely. I would agree with that completely. And I, I mean, clearly you have a, a pretty sound method in place from what it sounds like for your, your approach to brewing beer. But have you ever had a brew not go as planned, but it ended up working out okay or a situation similar to that? Yeah. So it's a semi-long story, but it's a good one. So <laughs> I'm ready for it. Somewhere, somewhere around, I'm going to guess 2005, 2008, somewhere in that range, I was going to brew a beer. The style is called a Maybach. Okay. And my son and I got a recipe from the Michigan Brewing Company up in Williamston. And it was their recipe and brewed it up and, you know, fermented and blah, 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 did all the right things. And he and I, you know, after, you know, lagering for a little bit, just letting it sit in the bottle to uh, naturally ferment, we popped a couple open, we poured it. And I go, son, does this taste okay to you? He goes, it tastes a little strange. We finished our glass. And I said, let's try another bottle. So we poured another bottle and we tried that. And I go, there's something wrong. Walked upstairs, told my wife that I think my beer's infected. She laughed at me going, she's a microbiologist, by the way. She <laughs> laughed at me and said, you realize that yeast is a bacteria. So it's already infected. I go, you didn't help me at all, dear. <laughs> so uh, I think we drank a few more and he drank a few more. And I, it, when you brew a uh, home brew, you make five gallons typically at a time. And so that's a roughly two cases of beer, 12 ounce bottles. I think I dumped out a whole case of that. Okay. <laughs> so we went to a beer meeting and we stopped off at the French laundry. I believe it's in, if it's not in Holly, it's really close to Holly, Michigan. And they have beers from all over the world, and, and they have wonderful food. And we ate there before going to the, the guy's house that was hosting our meeting. And I said, oh, they got a Maybach. I'm going to try a Maybach. So I poured the Maybach because it came in a bottle, and I poured it in my glass. I said, that looks like what I made. Took a big gulp. You know, I was thirsty. Took a big gulp. This tastes just like the you-know-what I made. <laughs> I laughed, my wife laughed, and I, I shouted, I don't like my box. <laughs> so my buddy who was hosting, he, he took the beer and he finished it, and I ordered a different beer. But then many years later, uh, here in the, in the teens of the 2000, I decided to try another Maybach, and I went, you know, I think my palate has been refined because I do like Maybach now. I like to think I'm pretty well-rounded with beer, but I had to look up what a Maybach is, and the backstory is pretty interesting. The Bach style is of Germanic origin and was brewed in the central town of Einbach, dating back to the 13th century. The style was popular in Bavaria, and their dialect from that region caused them to pronounce the town of Einbach as Einbach, which translates to Billy Goat in German. So it's not completely uncommon to see goats printed on labels of Bach beers for that reason. Bach-style beers are typically brewed for special occasions, especially Maibachs for spring festivals, with Mai translating to the month of May in German. Maibachs are sometimes referred to as Hellesbach or Hellerbach, with Hella translating to bright or light in color. I have not tried a Maibach personally, but they're typically described as a different take on pilsners and lagers, being lighter in color, 
less malty, and having a drier finish with a larger hop profile. What typically makes Mybox different than other light beers comes in their toasty malts and having a spicy or peppery taste coming from the hops. So if that's your thing, give a Mybox a try. Maybe you'll like it. I never went back and brewed that recipe again, but I think I should. <laughs> so that's the one that I thought didn't work out, but it turns out it did work out. <laughs> it was funny because my follow-up question was going to be like, did you accidentally brew a different type of beer? And if so, you know, what was that type of beer? But it turns out you, you had it right all along. You, I did. Not yeah, a fan of my box, I guess. <laughs> it, it drove me crazy for the longest time, but it, it's a good story. I like telling it. <laughs> That's funny. Actually, speaking of which, have you ever had a scenario where that happened to where you meant to brew something else and it ended up becoming a completely different style by mistake or something? Yeah. Or it just ended up mimicking more of a style? Well, yeah, making my own style. So I was, <laughs> yeah, it's not funny. So I was trying to brew a barley wine. Barley wines are a much more alcoholic beer. They are not wines, which when I took my wife to Michigan Brewing Company, I had told her, oh, they got wine. It's, it's called, a, I didn't know anything about brewing. They got wines. It's called a barley wine, dear. Would you like to try it? She took a big gulp. You know, I don't like beer. Oh, sorry. It turns out I, barley wine is a beer. It's not a wine. You know, little did the, the dumb chemist know I was new to the brew scene. So, um, yeah, but so I was trying to make a, a, my own barley wine here just a couple of years ago. And I took the recipe in. There's a store in Lansing, Capital. I got to give all these people plugs, you know. Uh, yeah, of course. Capital City Homebrew Supply. And I, I had my recipe in hand and I was... I don't know if he entered it wrong or I told him wrong or how it worked out, but the uh, recipe was supposed to have one ounce of a really dark roasted grain just to give it some color. So one ounce mm -hmm. isn't a lot, right? Mm -hmm. Somehow I ended up with a pound of that in it. <laughs> now you can imagine 16 <laughs> times the amount, right? 16 right. ounces as opposed to one ounce. So it turned out to be a very roasty barley wine. I've still got a few bottles of it, so let me know next time you guys are over. I might <laughs> slip one to you to take home. <laughs> I'm, yeah, I'm curious about that now. That sounds interesting. Yeah. yeah. So, yeah, that's the one that I just totally messed up because I, I got the wrong ingredients, wrong amount. <laughs> Mystery solved, I guess. But, yep. yeah, that's <laughs> no, that's interesting. So scrolling through your untapped again, I saw that – Back in 2015, you became a temporary assistant brewer at Old Nation in Williamston. So how did that opportunity come up, and what was that whole experience like? For my last few years of teaching, roughly my last four or five, probably my last six, I would always put something out there. Hey, Debbie gave me permission to retire. She never gave me permission to retire, really, until, <laughs> until I did. And so one day, Old Nation was new back there in 2015. And a former student was employed there. And he goes, hey, Mr. Floyd, we're thinking on having guest brewers. And, and we hear you're retiring. Would you like to do that? I said, I would love to do that. I'd rather you wait till I did retire, but I'm not really retiring yet. <laughs> so, <laughs> so I went out for two weekends around, around the 4th of July. I went out and Nate Reisky and Travis Fitz, who was also a former student of mine, Travis, they were very gracious and they, they allowed me to brew with them for two weekends. It was fun, informative, and rewarding. And, you know, Travis is still close to my heart. I also uh, went to school with his parents. 
So I, I feel a closeness to TJ. That's what we called him when he was a student. And they're both just very, very nice gentlemen. No, that's really cool. And that, that sounds like a very just fulfilling and, and rewarding and enriching experience all in its own. It. So it was a story of, because I saw in 2019, you also became involved in Eagle Monk and Lansing as well. Yeah. So how did that experience compare to Old Nation? Was that a former student as well, or was that kind of a different story for that one? Well, yes and no. So I'm in Diamonddale, Michigan at Dimes Brewery, who was owned by a former Holt student and cross-country runner. Chad Rogers, and Chad, I believe it was Chad's dad or a close friend, can't remember who, it was probably the close friend, whose son also ran cross-country. He said that Eagle Monk just lost their brewer's assistant, and I said, oh, can I, you think, he says, give Dan a call. So I called up Dan Bonadano, he's the owner, head brewer, and uh, he and his wife run the the pub there. I said, I hear you need help, I'd like to come out and, and help you. So I showed up one day and we talked and, well, we brew on Monday. I said, I'll be there. What time? Six o'clock. Okay. You know, and so I started brewing in late August of 2019. And, you know, Dan, here's another man who was very patient with me, generous and, and gracious. I really learned a lot from being with him and, and appreciate the friendship that we have. But when COVID hit, you know, I was laid off, if you want to use those terms. And mm-hmm. then in May of 2020, when some of the sanctions or some of the lockdowns were lifted, I went in and picked up uh, my last paycheck and talked to him and said, Dan, I'm I'm not coming back. I, I like retirement too much. And yeah, <laughs> the, the sad part of that is he looked at me and goes, Dave, I want to do that too. And I, yeah. I, I reaffirmed that he would be able to do that. So He's got things in place now with uh, other people helping him with some of it. So I think he's a little more relaxed, but he's going to retire before you know it. This is his, he's had eight years of running this pub. So yeah, that's my, uh, that's my story with Eagle Monk. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. And I, I know you've been, or I believe you've been involved at other breweries as well, just maybe not in the same type of capacity, but I think I remember you mentioning Saugatuck Brewing in the past where you just kind of came in and they were let you use the facility. Yeah, it wasn't Saugatuck. Okay. So one of our club members, Lee Streeter, is the brewer for Looking Glass Brewing Company in DeWitt. Okay. And the manager, Joel Dillingham, also attended some of our meetings. I don't know if Joel actually brewed. He may have. But anyways... He's allowed our group to come in and do some brews. He uses a, I think it's a 10-barrel system. We won't use all of it, so he charges us a nominal fee, and then we took the beer home. And then we came back, because we had all doctored it a little bit, and we came back and we served it to their their mug club people, you know, just on a, on a night, and it was well-received. Most recently... Before COVID hit, we had brewed a Russian Imperial Stout, and then we put it after it was fermented, still just, well, it was probably just when COVID started. He transferred it into a 55-gallon whiskey barrel that we had bought, and they're, they're storing it for us. So they put, the, they put the Russian Imperial Stout into that, and then here in, I guess, May or April, we went back and got our portions out. And all of us took it home, and most of us just bottled it or kegged it. But you know what? It, it is a fantastic beer. 
we're so lucky to have friends that, that look after us and are able to allow us to do that kind of stuff. So yeah, we've got a barrel there still. We're going to, we're going to brew something else, hopefully in 21 and then put it into the barrel and get it out in 22. Nice. Now, speaking of which, is a Russian Imperial Stout something that maybe needs to, I guess, sit or ferment for a longer period of time or something like that? You know, not really. Fermentation is, in my opinion, at least over the years I've mellowed, it is a patient process that for ales only takes about two weeks for it to be done. Those yeasties, they start eating that sugar and they're farting out in carbon dioxide and they're peeing alcohol and then they multiply and they make more. And, and so before too long, the sugar's too low and the yeasties go, well, I guess I can't eat anymore. I'll just die, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. <laughs> and then a home brewer that doesn't keg will add a little more sugar and put it into bottles. And then there's a little bit of yeast still living in there. They'll eat that up and that'll carbonate the bottle. Hmm. So fermentation, the, the only one that's slow is the lagers. It, it, now, I haven't done any of those, but if you do, it, it takes three to four weeks of sitting, whereas an ale beer will only take about 10 days to 14 days to actually ferment. Now, in all of your experiences at all of these different breweries, is there a brewery that you stumbled across that blew you away that you were really impressed with their setup or operations, or you just really liked their beer in general? I'll be honest. I'm easily impressed. So <laughs> most craft or microbreweries that I stumble into, I, they're just so simple, so efficient. And, you know, the, the brewers are so, so helpful, so willing to share their craft and what they do. Now, I have seen a few that beg the question, why? Why are you using such a small system? Mm-hmm. And some of the answers to that is, well, that's all we could afford, you know, and that's, that's kind of sad. But, you know, to brew on a two-barrel system, you know, I mentioned the 10 barrel, you have to brew just about every day, you know, to keep yeah. up if, if you've got clientele coming in to drink your beer. So most of them are really, really, really efficient. They, they've got their system down. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. And I could be completely wrong with this story, but I just think back to a few years ago when there was that big explosion of not your father's root beer. And I feel like it, it just couldn't stay on shelves. They just couldn't really keep up. And then they they had a new distributor after a while that really got them out there more and kind of put, put things out to where you could actually get it and didn't have to hunt for it as hard. Yeah. So, yeah, I feel like that's probably a similar story to a lot of these different microbrewers when they start out. Yeah. Not Your Father's Root Beer was created by Small Town Brewery out of Illinois and was the fastest selling new product in the craft beer category back in 2015. To keep up with demand, Small Town entered an exclusive distribution agreement with Pabst Brewing Company to get Not Your Father's Root Beer on the shelves in 30 different states. Since that time, Not Your Father's underwent an entire rebranding that includes updated labels, packaging, and a new flavor and marketing strategy. Other flavors have been released like Not Your Father's Ginger Ale, Vanilla Cream Ale, Mountain Ale, and Fruit Punch. What a wild time to be alive. You know, and while I was working, if I can go back to Eagle Monk. Yeah. While I was working there, I'm not sure what time of the year it was, but a gentleman came in from Grand Rapids and he wanted to kind of shadow that Dan and, and how the brewing process went and ask questions about how to get started, blah, blah, blah. And he was trying to figure it out. And, you know, 
come to find out from Dan Bonadano, the guy was trying to like brew beer in his house and then, you know, have it served at this other place. And unfortunately that doesn't work. It's, it's not usually that good. <laughs> yeah, that's that's totally fair. Yeah. <laughs> Speaking of microbrewers and everything, I feel like living in Michigan, we definitely get spoiled with some great breweries. And I know we talk traveling all the time. So do you have any favorite out-of-state breweries or even like, even if you can't name a favorite, like a top three or anything? Okay. Well, recently, I, I, I haven't really gotten out of state to visit a lot of these breweries. I have been fortunate that another member of our club does get some really good beers from out of state. So I've tasted some and I want to visit the breweries. And I know that you and your brother have visited at least one of these, but, uh, and I'm going to be going to North Carolina as well. And there's, there's two on my list to visit there. So here we go. I did go to Decorah, Iowa during COVID. They had a contest and I won. And so I went to a place called Toppling Goliath. If you've never had their beers, you need to have their beers. And if you've never visited their place of business, you need to visit that. It's I think it was just phenomenal. Even though it was COVID, we had a great meal. We bought a lot of beer. I think I shared a beer with you and your brother. If we didn't, you guys took it home. <laughs> I, I do remember sharing a Toppling Goliath, and I'm glad you brought them up because I'd I love them so much. I mean, everything I've tried from them is is so good. And yeah. it's, it's actually a really funny story for how I even found out about them because, you know, my brother Joel and I, there is a liquor store right around the corner from our house, just small business and everything, and we, we made friends with the owner. And Joel went in one day and he wanted to give him Hetty Topper from The Alchemist, which is a brewery in Vermont. Really hard to come across their stuff. They pretty much only distribute within the state of Vermont. And, you know, the owner, Dan, was so blown away by that. And he said, here, well, let me give you something. And he went to the back and he grabbed one of the beers from Toppling Goliath. And he said, you know, I have a friend who drives trucks who came in and dropped this off to me. He said, in all the places he's been, he's driven across the country. This is his favorite beer. And, you know, he t Joel took it home. We split it. And I've been obsessed with that brewery ever since. <laughs> I mean, they are very good. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. The name of that liquor store by my house is Booze Barn, because I have to give them a shout out. And the name of the beer that Dan gave to Joel is Pseudo Sue. In addition to Pseudo Sue, I've also tried Dragon Fandango and the Double Dry Hop Pseudo Sue, and I was impressed with every one of them. If you're ever passing through Iowa or some other select Midwestern state, do yourself a favor and snag something from Toppling Goliath. Just look for the dinosaur on the cans. So, on my list of places to visit, you know, you mentioned The Alchemist, and yeah, I got to get there just because of the name and the beer is really good. Mm -hmm. Also in that area in, in Vermont is Hill Farmstead Brewery, and I've had beers from there, and they're really, really good. Um, <laughs> in Maine, there's Treehouse Brewing that I want to get to, and in, also in Maine, in Boston, is Trillium. But the two that I want to get to in North Carolina, Asheville specifically, are Wicked Weed and a place called Burial. Okay. Just the names for me are just like, yeah, I got I to gotta see these places. And I've had their beers. They're, they're good beers. My friends have ch shared with me. So, yeah. Yeah. So those are kind of on my list. Yeah. There have been some random stops that Joel and I have, have taken in 
while out traveling and everything to some of these breweries and we're just blown away by them and love you know picking up some beer and everything when we're there bringing it back sharing it with people and yeah so i'll definitely add all of these places to my list as well now i also see that you're the founding member of the informal group holt home brewers association where you share home brews and guest beers monthly in the homes of various members so where did the idea first spark to start that venture? So many years ago, the early 2000s, Bill Hodges, who I mentioned, and I had been brewing. And, you know, we had a lot of different beers and we wanted to share. And he hosted a party at his house where I brought samples of every beer I had brewed. And he did the same. And I can't tell you, I, there were at least eight of us there and it was just not good. I mean, it was, you know, for, for a bunch of high school chemistry teachers, mostly, or science teachers and whatnot, it was not good. And then we turned around and did the same thing at my house, only we had more people and my son and his friend participated and we had a lot more beer and it was, it was not good again <laughs> because, because what happened was we were drinking too much. So mm. what Bill, Bill really came up with these ideas for the club. Bill said, he said, we got to get this under control. He said, so what he came up with is if you're a home brewer, you will bring three 12 ounce bottles of a beer, one beer that you've made. If you don't bring that, if you can't do that, you'll bring three bottles, same beer of a craft beer. And you'll share that and we'll all partake and it'll be good times. And we had snacks and stuff. And so that's how it, it got going. And then I decided to add a beer trophy, which is pretty cool. It's become, it's become the Stanley Cup of the HHBA, the Holt Home Brewers and Aficionados, um, because we're <laughs> adding another ring to the bottom. As, as we speak, the, uh, one of our members is putting it on. So, uh, but th this too has gotten out of hand. Because now you bring your three bottles of your beer and you drink small tasters, right? Mm -hmm. And then you bring a guest beer because, oh, I, I went here and I got this beer. Try that. Well, everybody does that. So instead of having three beers, which is the equivalent of what you bought, brought, you have six or eight beers because everybody's brought a guest beer. Mm -hmm. So it's fun, but it, it's getting to be hard on this old body. <laughs> <laughs> no, totally understandable. And it's funny how those different things can evolve from such a simple, you know, humble beginnings, because um, I mean, just thinking about personal experience of mine, like I do a Friendsgiving with some of my friends from college every year. And then one of the years, I think it was a few years ago, we started doing a beer draft where we bring some different beers and then put them all out on the table. And then we do like a snake draft with everybody. And we just kind of pick our own six packs from what everybody brought. And that's always a lot of fun. And I mean, that, that whole group, I mean, we're in, we play a bunch, we're in a bunch of different fantasy sports leagues together and we keep in touch primarily that way. So I feel like it was only fitting to do it draft style for, for beer, but that's just another thing that connects us. And I, I cool. feel like that was yeah. a very similar thing for you as well. Just yeah. something, you know, to add the camaraderie. Yes, exactly. Now, do you ever envision brewing beer under your untapped name, Foy Boys, on a bigger scale or keeping things kind of on the scale that they are now? Now, I've never wanted to own and or operate a brewery or pub. Mm -hmm. I've, I've always said, I'll work there. And I've, I've done that, uh, but I've, I've made it quite clear to my wife, I'm not going to work anymore. I'm retired. Yeah. So um, 
I've enjoyed the time I've had brewing and the limited experience that I've done for the two places I mentioned. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I, I don't think I ever will. Yeah, no, and, and totally understandable. So speaking of which, getting into any new hobby or venture can definitely be overwhelming for someone who's just getting into it. So what's the best piece of advice you can offer someone who's looking into brewing beer? Well, you know, there's a lot online that you can find. But I suggest, you know, you, you find a group or a club and, and to join. Because I've, I've hosted many, uh, we call it Zemergy 101, and that's just teaching people how to brew. I've hosted many of those over the, the last decade. Seek out friends and neighbors that uh, might want to join with you. And then lastly, uh, I'm going to quote Charlie Papazian. He is the founder of the Association of Brewers. He also founded the Great American Beer Festival, and he's the author of what many consider the Bible of, of brewing, the complete joy of home brewing. He said this, relax, don't worry, have a home brew. So simple. Unfortunately, Charlie passed away a few years ago, but he is, he is revered in the, in the circles of home brewing. And I, I think, so the best way to do it is, you know, seek out friends, look online. There are clubs out there. Not everybody is a complete Meshuggah that's going to, you know, shut you down. Yeah. Yeah. No, and I, I think that makes a lot of sense too. And I mean, speaking from my own experience as well with, I mean, just getting into podcasting or any sort of new venture that I find is, you know, when you, when you talk to people who have been doing it or just like-minded people, I mean, you'd be surprised. They open right up. They're willing to talk to you about it. They want to lend a hand. And it sounds like you've had similar experiences too with getting into brewing beer at these different facilities and everything too. So yeah, I think that that carries a lot of weight for sure. I, I totally agree. So if anyone listening wants to learn how to homebrew, you can contact me at dfoy123 at gmail.com. I'll be happy if you're in my area. I'll be happy to teach you myself or find others that can teach you. If you're not in my area, uh, I'll help you find contacts. Oh, yeah, that's so good. And yeah, I'm, I'm sure so many people can benefit from that for sure. I mean, myself included, I would <laughs> love to learn more about the hands-on process as well. I know we, uh, I know we did a rough brew together of the imitation of zombie dust. That was, that was really informative and a lot of fun. Oh, we did. Did we do that together? Yeah. Well, at least like the beginning part of it. And then, um, I got updates as it was yeah, I guess, I, fermenting and everything. I yeah. forgot you were guys were part of it. Yeah. Yeah. Just hanging out on brew day is a great way to start learning. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I, I feel like I learned so much just in that short time period for sure. And actually on that note, what's the biggest lesson you've learned since you started brewing or something about it that really surprised you? For me, it, it, the biggest lesson that, that it taught me was patience. You could ask my wife, I've always been very impatient, but as I brewed more and more, I became very patient. I remember a quote from Alton Brown. He's a cook, a chef, he had the show Good Eats on the Food Network, and his, his line was always, let it be, your patience will be rewarded. And uh, it's true in brewing. If, if you're just patient, things will come. And then the other part of it we mentioned earlier was just the, the application of sound science. You know, the adjustment of pH, attention to temperature, 
just some of the little things that you can do to tweak a beer is pretty cool. Yeah. No, I, I agree completely. I, I feel like it's all a science and everything. Well, no pun intended. <laughs> <laughs> I had to throw that in there. No, it really is, though. I mean, it's all about just tweaking and experimenting and figuring out what works for you and, you know, just figuring out cool new things along the way. And, yeah, it's all a process for sure. Now, is there anything I forgot to ask that you wanted to touch on? Well, you know, one thing I left out and was my my experience at Eagle Monk didn't didn't just encompass brewing. You know, I, I learned how to how to clean kegs, how to transfer beer to bright tanks, how to fill kegs, and you know, so that as tedious as some of that might sound, oh you're washing dishes, you know, it it was important just to get your, your feet wet. And, and they often did get wet in the brewery because I, I often had a <laughs> water hose fall on my feet, you know. But uh, I, I think that, that something like that, the behind-the-scenes thing that goes on to make beer, yeah, it's a lot of work on, the, on a bigger scale. It's not so much work at home. You know, you have maybe three hours of hands-on time to do a five-gallon batch, two cases of beer. And then the rest of it, it's just sitting doing its thing waiting for you to drink it yeah no so true and i i compare that to working in restaurants myself i mean just i guess having a bigger appreciation for it i guess just you know doing everything from just being you know being a busboy to being a server and everything and working behind the scenes working you know the front of the house and everything i mean there's a lot that goes into it and all those i guess tedious tasks and everything you look you learn to appreciate the whole big picture of it more i guess getting involved with you know, the smaller items and the smaller areas. That is true. Yeah. All right. Now, where can people find more information on the beers you brew, your home brewers association, or anything else you'd like to plug? Well, for the for our HHBA, Holt Home Brewers and Aficionados, I found out Monday that our website is gone. <laughs> we used to have a website. <laughs> Nobody had looked at it in probably at least five years. And so I think Google <laughs> took it down because I can't find it. <laughs> or they changed some format of Google Sites and, you know, it disappeared. But as far as that club goes, again, just get a hold of me at that uh, email, dfoy123 at gmail.com. I'll answer your questions. If you're local in the whole uh, Lansing area of Michigan, I'll uh, I'll hook you up. Mm-hmm. In far as far as Untapped goes, if you want to see what I've brewed, for those of you listening, if you're familiar with the Untapped, if you go to search for a beer, you can click breweries. So instead, type in Foyboys, hit breweries, it'll come up, and uh, then you can look at all the beers that I that I have made and ciders uh, over the years. They're all there. That doesn't mean I have them in my basement to serve you. But uh, if I have it, I will serve it. Yeah. And so the last thing I want to leave you with is this. Charlie Papazian is one of my heroes, as I said earlier, father of home brewing. Here's another quote. The best beer you'll ever have is the beer you brewed yourself. And uh, yeah, I think uh, we had a good time talking. Yeah, this was really fun, really informative too. And I, I loved all the, the quotes splashed in there. I mean, you know, very, very simple quotes, but very powerful in the message. That's uh, definitely my cup of tea. There you go. There you go. <laughs> 
So good. Or my mug of beer. Mug of beer. Yes. Not my cup of tea. Yes, with a frothy head. (laughs) And I'm going to make that a phrase now, I guess. Yeah. Oh, oh, yes. Let's do that. Yeah. That's That's my mug of beer. (laughs) Yes. Perfect. No, thank you again so much for this this conversation and everything. This is really good. I enjoyed it. I enjoyed it a lot, Eric. Uh, And thank you for all of the badges i've been getting on untapped for 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 uh checking in your uh your home brews i've got some very unique badges that way you're welcome <laughs> and uh you know you know that you two you and joel are always welcome here those of you listening you're all welcome here too just give me a head up heads up before you uh <laughs> yeah. stop by the yeah. house so i know uh, who's good, coming yeah good thing to keep in mind <laughs> <laughs> right just get that heads up but yeah awesome no once again i really enjoyed this conversation and stuff and yeah. um yeah i i wish you well and in your years of retirement and just living your best life thank you eric and, <laughs> and uh i always wish you well and uh keep on trucking that's that's another quote but that's from the great grateful dead <laughs> yes oh man so good awesome well yeah thanks again this was so much fun okay we'll talk soon right yep oh yeah definitely Thank you so much for tuning in and checking out the show. Links to all of Dave's pages, along with other resources, can be found in the show notes. If you like what you heard, please make sure to subscribe and leave a review for the Juxtaposed Journeys podcast. Any feedback is always welcome and appreciated. If you're an entrepreneur, creator, or live an interesting lifestyle, send an email to juxtaposedjourneys at gmail.com with a brief description for a chance to be featured in an upcoming episode. The Juxtaposed Journeys logo was designed by Darius Norwood. The website was designed by Elise Benner, and music has been provided by Young Pioneer. Editing for this episode was done by RB. Final mixing and interviews are conducted by yours truly, Eric Spitz. Thank you for listening, and remember to never stop exploring.